0: refundable deposit for us God's love and grace in Ephesians 2 we learn that because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us not dead but alive in him that's right we learn about thankfulness that's the first thing gratitude thankfulness And we learn, like we did last week, that the dividing wall of hostility between the two groups has been destroyed. And now there is peace. Peace for those who are near, and peace for those who are far. We are now the household of God, and that's a really good message. So Paul's hope in this letter is that the good news of the gospel will create diverse communities These groups will be diverse because they will be ethnically diverse, like the Jews and the Gentiles. They may be theologically diverse. They will be diverse in their giftedness, as we'll learn in these upcoming chapters. They will be diverse communities who are unified by a devotion to Jesus and a devotion to each other. This morning, as we enter into Ephesians 3, Paul is going to make a shift. First he's going to share with us though a little bit of his testimony and then he's going to pray over us as we consider how to take this big love grace message and apply it to our lives in the next three chapters of the letter. So before we read it, would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God as we receive your word fill us with your spirit Soften our hearts, that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds, that we may discern your truth. Shape our will, that we may desire your ways. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord, friends, from the book that we love, from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, and we'll read the first 13 verses together. Paul writes this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, the grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone The administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which is for your glory. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you noticed, but in that first verse, Paul sort of starts saying something and then just kind of changes course right away. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. Once again, we encounter Paul who has a lot to say and is very excitable and just has so much to offer, so much to write about, that he sort of starts somewhere and stops and goes somewhere else. So we'll notice next week when Joanna leads us that that phrase, for this reason, that's going to come back. At verse 14. So if you think Paul's completely leaving that thought, he'll come back to it. He's just really excited to share this with us this morning. We learn, though, that Paul is a prisoner. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. What he means by this is that Paul called him to minister to the Gentiles, and when he started doing that, as a result of his ministry, he was imprisoned. So I don't think he's trying to blame them for his situation, but just stating what's true. "I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus because of y'all, and because what God has called me to." And interestingly, in these first few verses, verses one, two, three, and four, Paul is assuming that the people reading this letter or the people who are hearing this letter read to them know who Paul is. And that makes sense because we learn in Acts 19 that these people do know Paul. They know him really well because for two years he lived among them in Ephesus. Acts 19 tells us that for a few months, this is in Acts 19 verse 8, For a few months, Paul went and he taught in the synagogue. He, quote, argued persuasively about the kingdom of God while he was there. But some people heard him and they didn't like what he had to say. So eventually he's kicked out of the synagogue after teaching there for a few months. So he and a few of his disciples who have learned from him and agree with him, resonate with him, decide to instead move their discussions to a lecture hall, which was called Tyrannus. And it's likely that Paul rented this lecture hall often, maybe in the afternoons when Tyrannus didn't need the space. And in that space, he would share this mystery, this mystery he had come to know. And perhaps after lecturing, they would have discussions together about this mystery that Paul has come to know. And they do this for two years. He rents out this lecture space, and together they learn they grow, they wonder about this mystery. So they know Paul. And if they don't know Paul personally, they definitely know of Paul. Because when Paul started teaching in Ephesus, eventually his ministry had some consequences that I don't think he intended, but consequences nonetheless. And a riot started in Ephesus because of Paul's ministry. Uh, what Paul was preaching um, conflicted with the economy. There were people who were making idols there, and Paul said, nope, can't do that anymore. And of course, that ruined the business for those who were making these idols. And so a riot started in Ephesus, and the riot was so intense, so severe, that Paul had to leave very unexpectedly. Later, he goes back to the elders in the church in Ephesus when it's safe for him to do so, and they have a really, really endearing goodbye together, which is in Acts 21. But all this to say, the Ephesians know Paul. He lived with them. He worshipped with them for a couple years. Maybe they didn't like him, but they know him. What we also learn from that is that they have a good and complicated relationship. As they tease out together, what does this mean? This mystery In verse 6, Paul tells us exactly what the mystery is. He repeats the word mystery four times in these 13 verses, and that means it matters. This word matters to Paul. And in fact, he uses this word too in Ephesians 1 to begin to get us thinking about the mystery. But now he says this is what it is. He's hinted at it in verse 1. He's named it near the end of chapter 2, and now he's going to tell us this Is the mystery, and he says it in verse six. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This is where you should go, woo, because that's y'all, Gentiles. This applies to us. The good news, the mystery, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles and the descendants of Israel are brought together as one body. I really like how the Reverend Matthew McCraw puts it. He says this, The mystery is that what we once knew to be the Jewish way of peace with a Jewish God, brought by a Jewish Messiah to a Jewish people, has now become the one way to peace with the one true God, brought by the one true Messiah to any and all people. Thank you, all right! Thank you. Um, It's actually a little frustrating to me that there's not an exclamation point. Paul just puts a little period at the end there, that there's not an exclamation point. But we do know from the context of this letter that Paul is overjoyed by this news. I don't know if you remember the the chapters before this, but this is really exciting news for Paul. This is something that Paul dedicated his life to. He dedicated his life to believing it, which took a lot of courage. He dedicated his life to growing in it. And he dedicated his life to teaching others about it. So that should be an exclamation point at the end of verse 6. But I think it's interesting that he does use the word mystery. Four times he uses that word, and so that makes me curious. Why does Paul describe this as a mystery? Because he gives it away, so that's not very mysterious. Um, when I think about just the word mystery objectively, so not as it relates to this passage, but just in general, the first thing that I think of is Scooby-Doo. Yep. The next thing I think of is Sherlock Holmes, which I know is different and unrelated. But I think about detective shows. I think about the characters who have to find the clues and piece them together, and maybe they get into some shenanigans along the way, but ultimately they find the bad guy, or they do the puzzle, or I just, I think of that process. There is something out there that I don't know about, and it's my job to find the pieces and put them together, and that's the mystery, and I've solved it. That's what I think of when I think of mystery. Um, I think more in general of puzzles. I think of Rubik's cubes, which are a huge mystery to me. Um, I think of just riddles as well, some that can be figured out and maybe some that leave us puzzled. With mysteries too, um, I also think of surprise parties. Um, so it's you know, a mystery to the person who doesn't know that the surprise is happening. That's what I think of when I think about mysteries. I don't necessarily think of this passage, which I find sort of interesting. And I don't think that's what Paul means here when he's talking about a mystery. I don't think Paul means that you've got some detective work to do, even if you love Scooby-Doo or Sherlock Holmes. I don't think this is a puzzle or a riddle that you're meant to figure out. And I don't think this is a surprise party, though I sort of enjoy the image of God being like, oh, shush, 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 shush. the Gentiles are coming. Everybody get, sit down. Everybody turn down the lights. Okay, one, two, three. (gasps) Gentiles, you're part of the family. You know, I don't think that's what God has in mind here, what Paul has in mind here. I think it's actually a lot more simple and therefore really profound. And that's this. The word mystery means that this good news has been revealed. This good news, the Gentiles being grafted in, it's been revealed. And that has been revealed by God. Right? Paul didn't have blindfolds on. He didn't find different pieces of a puzzle and figure out Oh, this beautiful mystery. It was from God. It was revealed to him. It was not something that he could figure out on his own. And we know from the rest of the letter that it's a mystery that has been revealed, and it's good. Because in Ephesians 1, we learn this is God's will, and it's for his good pleasure. It's a mystery, too, because if God didn't reveal it, if God did not reveal this mystery, it would never be known. But God revealed it to Paul. The mystery, Paul, is that the gospel is for the Gentiles, and they are grafted in. This grace, this love, This salvation, it is for everyone. That is really good news. It's a mystery because God revealed it. Paul takes a few moments here in this passage to say what it's like for him to receive the good news of this mystery what it's like when God takes the blindfold off. Do you remember when he did that on the road to Damascus in a very dramatic, blinding light? Paul, this is the mystery. Here it is before you. Paul shares a little bit of what it's like for him, and we read in verses 7, 8, 9, and on that he is totally and completely dedicated to this mystery. He is a servant He calls himself in verse seven, or a minister of this ministry. And remember, too, Paul is saying that even though he's been misunderstood, he was thrown out of the synagogue in Ephesus. People argued with him in the synagogue and probably in the lecture hall as well. He was misunderstood. He was rejected. He was thrown out of the city of Ephesus after the riot started. And as a result, he's imprisoned, okay? So he's not in a great situation, but he is completely, totally dedicated and committed to this mystery, which God has revealed. Because what if Paul would have never known about this, the good news of this mystery? It brings Paul, we've said this already, but it brings Paul immense joy, to make clear to the Gentiles what was originally beyond his understanding. Paul, too, ties this to grace. He uses the word grace multiple times in this passage and in the letter to the Ephesians. It's because God had grace on Paul. God revealed the mystery. Because God had grace on Paul, Paul shares it with the Gentiles. Similarly, God has grace on us, and the invitation here is to share that grace with others. Because, as we said in communion a few weeks ago, it is for us, but it's not about us. It's about his grace and glory. It's interesting... um, for me to look at where these texts, in this case, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, fall in the lectionary. Uh, We don't always use the lectionary at North Holland, which is fine. It's okay to go one way or the other. But I like to look and see where these texts fall in the lectionary because I'm curious what else it might uh, stir up or make us wonder about as we read these passages. If you're not familiar, the lectionary is some predetermined texts that are assigned to a Sunday. There's text from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and ministers and elders can discern together what passages they're going to look at on a given Sunday. So I looked up, where does this passage, where is this mystery revealed in the lectionary? And I found out that it is revealed in Epiphany, the season of Epiphany. Epiphany, I'm sure any children and worship kid could tell me this, but they're downstairs right now, um, Epiphany comes after Christmas, so we have Advent, which we typically celebrate here. Then we have Christmas. We tip over into the New Year. We have Epiphany, that brings us to Lent, and then Easter. So back in Epiphany, Christ has been born. He is. We're going to remember his death at Easter, but we're in sort of this in-between time, and we call that time Epiphany. And that word means appearance, most literally. And in Epiphany, we're looking at the life. Of Christ. So often these texts uh, will talk about miracle stories or parables and it's all about following Jesus. And if you've ever been in Dawn's Children of Worship class, you'll hear her use the phrase epiphany eyes. What do you see with your epiphany eyes? And when she says that, she means as you watch the life of Jesus, what do you notice? How does Jesus show up? How does he appear? How does he treat the characters that are in this story? And what does that mean for you as you look around with your epiphany eyes. I wonder if the invitation from this passage for us today is to re-engage those epiphany eyes, to look around and to ask ourselves if this mystery is true, if it's true, if all the Gentiles have been grafted in, What does that mean for how I see my neighbor? We reflected on that a bit last week, but Paul says it again. How do you see your neighbor? If the truth is that this good news creates diverse communities that are unified by devotion to Jesus and devotions to each other, it means that we may not always agree. So when that happens, what do your epiphany eyes see? How do you treat your neighbor? And I think Paul's right to bring this up, because remember, he had those two years in Ephesus. This was kind of a rocky relationship that he had with some, not all, but with some of the members of the church in Ephesus. I wonder as he thought about this mystery that even they, the person who doesn't see the world that I do, the person doesn't do things the way that I do them, the person that doesn't raise their kids the way that I raise my kids, how do I see them? How do I interact with them? And like Pastor Stephen asked last week, are those folks in my life thinking the same way that I do? Are they doing life the same way that I'm doing it? Are they raising their kids the same way that I'm raising mine? And what does that mean about how I understand the mystery? I think, in other words, Paul knows that that's really hard. It's really hard to believe the mystery sometimes, and it's also way harder to do it. It's way harder to do it. And that's why I think, and we'll hear more about this next week, Paul has to stop and pray because he knows how tough it is. The good news of this mystery that everybody has been grafted in, that we are all a family in the household of God, I don't know about you, but sometimes families have messes. He knows it's really, really hard. So as we close this time together, I want to read to you the prayer that he offers them at the end of this chapter, and we'll expound more upon it next week. So I've adapted or changed the prayer a little bit so that it fits for us today to include all of us instead of individuals. But listen into this prayer and hear the sincerity from Paul. This gospel, this mystery, is good news, and it's hard. And I know it's hard. So hear this prayer from Paul. He says this: I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power, God, through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you, God, you who are able to do immeasurably more immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, And of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Audrey, for leading us in Ephesians 3. As we come to a time of prayer together as congregation, I just want to share a a few prayer updates. Uh, One, there's two prayer quilts in the back. Uh, One comes to us from Kathy Hoeksema, requesting prayers uh, for a friend of hers, um, Aaron, who is a long hauler recovering from COVID-19, and so wanna pray for that return of strength and energy, um, for restoration of health, and also just for friends and family to support and love on her as she makes her full recovery. Um, Also have a, a prayer request from Diane Dupree, Um, This is a request for Aiden Kane Alvarado. Um, This is her sister's nephew. Um, Aiden is 10 years old and was recently diagnosed with leukemia. Um, Tomorrow they are scheduled to have surgery. So this is all moving real fast. Um, And he'll have um, an MRI and other tests to check the extensiveness of it. So um, certainly today we wanna lift the whole family in prayer, especially for tomorrow's surgery. Um, and also just holding hope um, for the MRI and other tests to come, um, and just for Aiden and his family to feel God's love and presence as they walk a journey that simply is not meant to be walked by anyone, much less a 10-year-old. Um, if you remember not too long ago, it was, this is on the same side of Diane's family as Barry, um, and so uh, just in talking this week, it seems like there's just been so much tragedy and hardship on that side of the family in just such a recent time, um, so we're going to pray for um, for Aiden and family. Um, another uh, prayer rec- uh, update that we have: um, uh, we've been keeping Warren and Bra- Warren Brower in prayer um, for that that leak around the aneurysm. Um, but over the weekend, Warren fell and um, he did fracture a bone in his leg, um, beneath the knee, and also his uh, shoulder is very, very swollen. Um, he is hospitalized right now, um, pain, pain is well controlled, but um, they're still determining if surgery will be an option that will help, um, or if they can't do surgery um, for its benefit trade-off or not. Um, so there will be some time in the hospital and also some rehab time to follow. So. Um, We want to lift Warren and Jerry and just the Brower family as they discern next steps uh, for Warren. So um, we'll be lifting him in prayer. Um, Also, um, uh, from the uh, Zival family, um, Barry Zival's sister Cindy um, lives in Chicago, um, was recently hospitalized with AFib. They don't really have any answers yet. This came to us recently, um, but had an extremely high heart rate um, and just other complications going on. So, we're going to pray for Cindy, um, sister of Barry Zival. Um Also, um, we have a, a very hopeful follow up surgery this week for Jody Essenberg. Um,